Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Nonprofit U, a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm a consultant to nonprofits and I specialize in community and organizational development. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. You can find Nonprofit U on Facebook and Twitter, and I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often using today's hashtags, Nonprofit U, Community Memorial, or Investing in People. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofit underscore U. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, you must open a listener-only account. Then you can find a link to open the account on the episode page, and you can also email me questions at consulting at ValerieFLeonard.com. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. But remember, if you're chatting, you can chat at any time. Today's topic is investing in the people that power the organization. We'll talk about the importance of building organizational infrastructure and the capacity building initiatives of the Community Memorial Foundation. Again, we encourage you to call in with questions at about the 30-minute mark. You can start posting in a chat room, emailing questions right now. Again, my email address is consulting at ValerieFlinnert.com. And if you want to participate in a live chat, you must open a listener-only account, and the link is found on the episode page right beneath the chat box. Again, the call-in number is 347-884-8121. Nonprofit and community development professionals, as well as policymakers, are especially encouraged to call in and share your stories and strategies. Today's guest is Tom Fechtman, a program officer at Community Memorial Foundation. Tom has served as a program officer with CMF since 2001. In that time, he has directed two of the foundation's strategic initiatives, the Youth Initiative aimed at improving health among young people aged 6 to 18, and more recently, the Building Organizational Effectiveness Initiative aimed at building the organizational capacity of CMS grantees. Tom has given presentations at local, regional, and national conferences on grant making and nonprofit capacity building. Tom has a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology from Loyola University, Chicago, and a master's degree from the School of Social Service Administration at the University of Chicago. Thank you so much, Tom, for being a guest on today's show. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about Community Memorial Foundation and how you came to work with them? Sure, and thank you for inviting me to be part of this conversation. Community Memorial Foundation, we are what's called a health conversion foundation. Uh, We were created Mm -hmm. from the sale of LaGrange Memorial Hospital back in 1995. So as you know, Valerie, any time a nonprofit is sold to a for-profit, you have to do something with the money, with the assets. And in 1995, uh, LaGrange Hospital was a 
um, community-based hospital, uh, a nonprofit, that was sold to the Columbia Group, and out of that sale, they created our foundation. So our mission is to uh, improve the health and well-being of those who live and work in 27 communities in the western suburbs of Chicago of Chicago. And our vision, our bold vision, is together with the community to transform our region, that is those 27 communities, uh, into the healthiest region in the country. And um, mm -hmm. we do that through uh, providing program grants. Uh, anyone who feels they can help us meet our mission and vision can come in and ask for uh, for money for their programs. We also offer several strategic initiatives. Um, we have a, a initiative that's primarily um, geared toward improving access to primary and behavioral health care. And we also have a, a capacity building initiative that you mentioned that is aimed at improving the organizational effectiveness of our grantee partners. Awesome. And also before we get started, capacity building. You know, we were talking a little bit before we came on the air that capacity building means a lot of different things and it means different things to different people. So just so we're all on the same page, when you talk about capacity building, what do you mean for today's show? Yeah, and that's a really good question. I was at a um, convening of funders a couple of weeks ago when we were all talking about how capacity building has become this jargony term that uh, has almost lost its meaning uh, in some contexts because uh, it's so overused. Traditionally speaking, capacity building refers to a whole bunch of activities that are all designed to improve uh, and enhance a nonprofit's ability to achieve its mission. So basically, mm -hmm. it's about uh, helping nonprofits um, get stuff done and, and specifically mm -hmm. helping them advance their mission into the future. Um, now, mm -hmm. that can get a little confusing because sometimes capacity building can be a noun, sometimes it can be a verb, sometimes it can be an adverb, <laughs> or I mean an adjective. Um, so basically, you know, and some are even beginning to say that we should drop the, the words capacity building altogether and move to, you know, a, a new term like um, organizational strengthening, which kind of gets at a little bit what we're about. Essentially, um, and we operate, you know, too, on multiple levels. So sometimes are we talking about capacity building for individuals, for organizations, or for an mm -hmm. entire sector or group of organizations or a coalition? Um, essentially, um, you know, and we work at all of those levels, but we're looking at um, helping uh, organizations and individuals in, their, in those organizations um, move to the next level of their development so that they can achieve their missions. And thus, by mm -hmm. helping them achieve their missions, that helps us as a foundation uh, move forward on our mission as well. Mm -hmm. Now, question for you. Do you see the trend for capacity building on the uptick or the downtick or just pretty much flat? And, and I guess maybe from two perspectives, one from the organizational perspective and then one from the funder's perspective. It may have different trends. Yeah, and I do think that it is on the uptick. Um, and I think, you know, 20 years ago or so, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, um, 
this was talked about, but there was nowhere near as much of an emphasis, you know, certainly from the funder perspective um, on mm-hmm. capacity building and on, you know, strengthening organizations. I think there's a growing realization and acceptance that if we want you know, programmatic outcomes, if we want organizations to succeed, you know, in their work in in helping others, uh, if you will, that we need to pay attention to the organizational infrastructure. We need to help people um, improve their organizations. And, and I think even now there's a growing acceptance that that also means investing in people. So, you know, if we believe that we want organizations to to succeed, um, that's going to take investing in uh, in people and in leaders because, mm-hmm. you know, we firmly believe that, uh, you know, leaders are what help an organization thrive, not just survive. And that, um, you know, if we're going to really fuel social change, we need to invest in organizations. And if we're going to strengthen organizations and have and provide them with what they need to succeed, that means investing in people. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's a great segue to the next question, and then in some ways you've answered part of it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, foundations agree that capacity building is important, you know, but from my personal observation, very few grant-making organizations seem to invest as heavily in capacity building as a standalone program as you do. And when I say you, I'm talking about the Community Memorial Foundation. And the focus for many foundations seems to be on direct programs, but as you mentioned before, there seems to be a trend to um, in capacity building. But for Community Memorial Foundation, what drives the decision to actually prioritize capacity building? Yeah, so I should say that, you know, our foundation, Community Memorial Foundation, has had an emphasis on capacity building really since its inception. Um, So Mm -hmm. while, you know, others or some funders are kind of coming to this realization that it's important, um, we have been blessed by a board and by, you know, staff who have right from our beginnings understood that, you know, this is a really important part of our work. And part of that, I think, is, um, you know, due to, you know, the fact of who we are and where we exist in the world and that we fund a very defined geographic area, you know, 27 suburbs mm-hmm. in, in the western suburbs of Chicago. And, you know, so we we really want, you know, our um, partners and our potential partners, the nonprofits that serve the residents in our communities to be as strong as they can be. Because by having strong partners, you know, then we will be able to fund programs that really, you know, improve health in our communities. So if you mm-hmm. call it enlightened self-interest or um, or whatever you call it, uh, that is really how I think our um, you know, firm commitment to capacity building, you know, really began is is out of an understanding that, um, you know, we need strong partners and we need strong organizations in our communities if we're going to move our mission forward. But getting to the mm-hmm. point of your question, you're right. I mean, there was some research done by an organization that I'm connected to called Fund the People uh, that looked at, you know, over uh, looked at research that showed that over 20 years, you know, from 1992 to, to uh, 2011, foundations devoted uh, 1% or less of their grant dollars to support nonprofit talent development. So, you wow. know, this has not been a uh, large 
portion of folks' budget, um, this you know capacity building, and certainly capacity mm-hmm. building with an emphasis on leadership development or talent development. Um, I do think mm-hmm. that's beginning to change as people see that that you know leadership is and investing in people is really important. But traditionally speaking, no, this has not been a major area of foundations' work. Um, it has been a part of our work and a significant part of our work. And I think you know the answer to that is in part because of kind of who we are and where we came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize the percentage was so small, so it sounds to me like more investment has been in overhead than in yes. capacity building in organizations. Oh wow. Yeah, and again, That's capacity tight. building can take a lot of forms, right? And and you know, not mm-hmm. to say that, you know, talent investment or investing in people is the only or even the best form of capacity building. Um but it's a critically important form of capacity building support and it's not mm-hmm. an area that has at least traditionally in the the, the recent past received mm-hmm. a lot of grant dollars. Okay, I got you. So you are making the distinction between investing in people development, talent development versus the whole spectrum of capacity building. Right, and we do the other spectrum stuff too. I mean, you know, funding an organization to hire a consultant to do a strategic plan, that's capacity building. I mean, that's, you know, providing a valuable Mm -hmm. service that strengthens the organization. It's not, though, you know, um, executive coaching or HR support or, um, you know, a leadership development program, which is really focused on talent development and, you know, building Mm -hmm. capacity within individuals that fuel the organization and move the mission forward. Okay. And, And that's very important because, what, everything rises and falls on leadership. Is that correct? Sure. Yeah. Okay, I noticed, too, mm-hmm. I, I noticed too that Community Memorial Foundation provides funding for grantees to engage in self-assessment. You know, for example, they can do a survey or they can do an in-depth organizational assessment and action planning program. So how does this initiative work? Right. So, um and and another piece of work that we do is um, technical assistance grants, which I, I just mentioned. You know, we provide grants, small grants of up to uh, $15,000 to hire a consultant to do a particular capacity building activity like strategic planning or uh, board development or a feasibility study, those kinds of things. And we emphasize mm-hmm. assessment kind of at the beginning of those projects because we want to be on the same page, you know, us, the foundation, mm-hmm. and the grantee about what the greatest capacity building need is and really have a, a, a you know an in-depth understanding of uh, not only you know what their greatest needs are but their their ability and their readiness really to take on capacity building work as an organization so one of the ways that we do that is through you know providing assessments and so we've worked with um Uh, the TCC group that has what they call the core capacity assessment tool or CCAT. It's an online organizational assessment tool that can be conducted, you know, facilitated online with, um, you know, key paid and unpaid leaders within the organization that provides uh, basically a snapshot 
of you know where the organization is on an organizational lifecycle model in in terms of their development, and some suggestions about what next steps they might take to move to the next level in their development. And we found that mm -hmm. you know and other tools. There's a lot of tools out there, um, but the important piece is it's it's really important when you're thinking about a capacity building, you know, embarking on a capacity building program or strategy to really have a keen understanding of you know your ability and your your need and your ability and your readiness to take on that kind of project and that's where you know we have used um, assessments both the CCAT and also you know more in-depth you know assessment process through kind of a consultant who will go in and you know look at all the major functions of the organization and provide the organization with a report um, these kinds of assessments can be very helpful in, in helping you know organizations mm -hmm. and foundations really understand um, you know their capacity and their ability to take on uh, you know a, a new capacity building project and and you know what's the mm -hmm. best direction they should take yeah it's interesting I listened to you talk um, sounds to me that not only should organizations engage in capacity building activities but when you do your assessment of the organization you're also looking at their ability to actually successfully engage in capacity building activities. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, we see assessment and, yeah, we see assessment and that whole, um, you know, application process for capacity building support um, as, as really looking at an organization's readiness to engage in this work and what will really, what is the best thing that would move them forward. Um, and mm -hmm. and why, <laughs> um, essentially. So it's for us. It's also in the context of a relationship. I mean, it's it's you know assessment and all of these things is part of in the context of the relationship that we have the, with the grantee because we want you know to help them be as strong as they can be so they can advance their mission and, mm -hmm. and by extension help us move our mission forward. Um, so uh, yeah, but readiness and and. Um, you know, and ability and desire to take on, you know, this kind of organizational change work is really important. Um, otherwise, you know, it just, it's not going to succeed. So, I mean, for example, you know, as part of the capacity building applications you know, for, you know, organizational assessment and for, you know, uh, technical assistance grants, we ask about the board's involvement and their commitment. And mm -hmm. so um, there has to be, you know, a commitment from the board. I mean, say if you're doing a strategic planning process, I mean, some of the questions we'll ask is how has the board get, been engaged? Is there um, a, a steering committee made up of board members that's helping guide this process? And what's the financial commitment on the part of the board and mm -hmm. the organization as well? I mean, typically mm -hmm. we would fund part of a capacity building project, but not all of it. So if you were mm -hmm. asking us for funding for, you know, a strategic plan, we're, you know, we want to know what the organizational commitment is as well, because that, that kind of uh, commitment not only shows, um, you know, that, that you're invested as an, as an organization, but it, it shows that there's buy-in from this, this, you know, the most senior leadership mm -hmm. of the organization, and that will only strengthen the program over time. Oh, okay. So you basically want to make sure the organization has some skin in the game for their capacity building activities and, and I guess the program officer who's dealing with direct service, you know, would would focus on direct service. Is is that how that works? 
Yeah, and we I mean we want to make sure that you know that there's alignment with what the actual needs of the organization are. So for example, often we're asked to support development work. <laughs> um but that may not be the biggest need. Um it might be that they need, mm -hmm. you know, a strategic plan or it might need mean that they need, you know, some board development work prior to any of, you know, uh you know, development consulting, for example. So, you know, and an assessment will really, an organizational assessment, hopefully, if done well, um, will really highlight, you know, where the organization is in its organizational development and what its greatest capacity building needs are. So that, you know, we can design a, um, you know, a, a capacity building set of activities, whether that be leadership development, executive coaching, a consultant to help them with a particular task, um, HR support, that will really help uh, the organization um, move to the next level and be able to sustain itself over time. And so, you know, all of that is in the context of, you know, what are you as an organization really ready to take on at this point, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, where are you in your development um, mm -hmm. as, as a nonprofit and then designing those strategies to say kind of, how can we move you to the next level or how can we help you walk with you in this journey as you, as you kind of um, move to the next level in your development. Okay. So realizing that no two organizations are alike, you know, how long would you say, a typical capacity building engagement last, you know, one that you would be involved in as a funder. So that's highly dependent on what we're talking about. <laughs> so we provide executive <laughs> coaching, for example, that is a strategy mm -hmm. that works with the executive director, um, a very kind of intense and personal engagement that's a year-long program or where we provide a year mm -hmm. of support um, for, you know, the executive director. Um, if you're talking about um, our, you know, HR program, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I think, I mean, that's a year-long program right. as well. Our, our leadership development okay. work is a 16-month program. And then if you're talking about a regular technical assistance grant, I mean, you know, strategic plans can last anywhere from several months to a full year. Um, you know, mm -hmm. same with evaluation programs and, you know, products and things like that. So. Okay. So it sounds to me like you're ready to make a significant commitment in terms of time working with the organizations, realizing that this is a developmental process. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, great. And I think it has to be. I think it has to be an investment of time. I mean, we're talking about, you know, working with and we were talking about organizations and, and individuals that we're in relationship with that, you know, mm -hmm. we want to see succeed because when they succeed and when they're strong, you know, our communities will be healthier <laughs> as a result. They'll be able to move their mission forward. And as a result, our communities will be healthier, which is what our mission is all about. So, I, of course, I think it takes time and it takes, it, you know, you need to be in it for the long haul if you're going to do this. Um, and I would say that to any funder out there. If you're going to commit to capacity building, I mean, first of all, I think you should because um, I don't know how you have successful programs if you're not 
also um, attending to the organizations and the individuals that are engaged in this social change work. Um, but be ready to be in it for the long haul because that's what it takes mm -hmm. to really uh, help organizations succeed. Now, it's interesting that you bring that point up. I can remember when I was an executive director of an organization, a really emerging organization, and we were doing a spinoff, and I felt like we were spinning off under duress. You know, our parents, so to speak, they gave us funds for a strategic plan, but they wanted us to have it done, I think, within two months' time, like eight weeks, less than ten weeks. And, you know, yeah. we got her done, so to speak. Right. But, you know, this was this was a group of folks in North Lawndale. We had limited capacity with, you know, within our own to, to really sustain the organization. And, you know, like I said, we, we finished everything, but I don't feel that that, that was a, a good approach, you know, because the, the results were not sustainable, if that makes sense. We had a beautifully written um, strategic plan, but I don't think we were mentally ready. I don't think sure. we were financially ready and all that good stuff. But, but we got and was this process and was this process driven by the funder or by your parent yes, organization? Yes. Yeah, um, the and there's a lot. Who was our parent? Right, right, and there's a lot written about that, <laughs> and and it's it's, it's <laughs> a kind of a, a very uh, hot topic among foundations in the funder world that you know support capacity building or organizational strengthening work is um, you know this dance between uh, grantee led and funder led work right um, mm -hmm. and I would just say that you know um, when funders dictate or mandate capacity building work um, in my experience and in my opinion the the <laughs> likelihood that things will not go as well as you hope them to is pretty high. I mean, so all of mm -hmm. our capacity building programs and activities started with a conversation or an observation or a survey, um, some understanding of what is going on with our grantees. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's always kind of looking at what our grantees need to be successful. And so, you know, that comes from, you know, again, it comes from the relationship and having strong relationships with those who we work with um, to kind of really have a deep understanding of what they need to be able to, you know, be more successful in their work. And, mm -hmm. you know, out of that grew our executive coaching program and out of that grew our mm -hmm. HR program because these were needs that, you know, we heard very clearly expressed by our grantee partners. So it wasn't us saying, you have to do this or you're not going to get money. It was more like, mm -hmm. you know, we've noticed that this is going on and you've told us in surveys and in conversations and focus groups that you really need assistance with HR or that, mm -hmm. you know, executive directors um, are turning over it at an exceptionally high rate, maybe there's something we could do to support them so they're not so isolated and so that they have a resource and a thought partner and an accountability partner outside of their board <laughs> that could you know, help them <laughs> succeed in their di very difficult jobs. So all of the pro mm -hmm. programs and interventions and activities that we provide 
um, really come from, again, conversations or, you know, uh, focus groups or surveys or things that we've done, you know, with our grantees in response to what they've told us. And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of a key, a key thing, you know, a, a key learning that we've had that I would, you know, share with any other funders that are on the call to say, if you want to design a successful capacity building program, at some point you really have to be grantee driven. Um, and really respond mm -hmm. to what the needs are of the grantees rather than kind of forcing folks into, you know, a particular program because that's just honestly probably not going to work. Right. It didn't last very long, you know. Right. And that's all, yeah. all, that's all I'll say yeah. there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and, you, we, have you know, to, we you all have, have those stories. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit U, and we're speaking with Tom Feckman. Tom is the Senior Program Officer with the Community Memorial Foundation. We'll take questions from our listening audience very, very shortly, so um, feel free to give us a call. That number is seven. I'm sorry, not seven seven three. That's such a horrible habit. Three four seven eight eight four eight one two one. Again, that number is three four seven eight eight four eight one two one. And if you're in our chat room, we will also take questions from our chat room. And remember, in order to use the chat room, you have to open a listener-only account. And I am very, very happy to see J.T. Paulus. He is the principal with Do-Gooder Consulting. And he has a question. He says, one of my questions is, how do we get organizations to the table to take advantage of things like capacity training? And are there types of individuals in an organization that should be called upon? So, so that's the first of his questions. Okay. So how do we get folks to the table? Um, I will confess mm -hmm. that it's pretty easy for me to do that as a funder because I have, you know, <laughs> yeah. we have about 70 grantees Leverage. and we say we're, you know, doing this training on, uh, you know, uh, secession planning and we're bringing in a national thought leader on this topic or board development and we're bringing in board source and kind of we put out an email and, you know, we have 80 people show up. Um, so um, <laughs> I'm well aware of the power dynamic that makes that happen. Um, so uh, I guess I struggle with, you know, as a consultant, how you do that. Um, I think... I, let me just say this. I think, generally speaking, most uh, nonprofit folks that I've come in contact with um, really have a deep desire to help their organizations be the best they can be. Um, I think we all have that. You know, I think we all really want the you know the sector and the organizations and the individuals in in our sector uh to be success as successful as possible and so you know part of that is you know providing um you know good quality resources to be able to to you know provide people with the kinds of training and the kinds of um, support and coaching and mentoring um, that will help them be successful. And, and part of that, again, goes to our previous point of, you know, making sure that it, there's a really a real fit between what you're offering and what, you know, what they need and what they think they need and what, um, so helping folks understand, you know, 
through assessments or through, um, you know, working with, you know, consultants or, or peers to, to really understand what their capacity building needs are and what they're ready to tackle, I think is really important. Um, and then providing them with the, you know, the time and space to be able to do that. But I also think there's some education here. I mean, you know, when we launched our executive coaching program, we had a whole bunch of interest, but we all have, so had some executive directors saying, I don't really have time to do this because I'm putting out fires all the time and am I really going to have time to kind of sit with a coach for, you know, an hour a week or a couple hours a month, you know, outside. Uh, it's going to take me away from my job and I can't really mm -hmm. afford to do that. And part of it is an education to say, you know, this will help you do your job better. You know, if you are able to take some time, you know, away from your desk and away from your email to really sit with someone and kind of prioritize what is it that you as a leader need to focus on? You know, what is it that you, um, what is it that you need to be able to, you know, be better at this, at this role of being the leader of your organization? Do you need to have a better relationship with your board? Do you need to um, better, you know, get better at supervising your staff and really think through that and have some feedback and mm -hmm. some conversations about that, you'll be able to do the other stuff better, you know. And so mm -hmm. part of it is really being able to explain and and um, educate people on kind of why this capacity building work is so important, why this particular intervention or strategy, whatever it might be, is really going to be helpful in strengthening their organization. You know, and it's amazing. It seems as if you were reading JP's mind because his next question or his next comment is, you know, there are people, you know, who are running these organizations. They don't, they don't have time. <laughs> so, right. So yeah. So you yeah. obviously anticipated his his question. And yeah, and he, and I think we need we need to take that seriously because I think we hear that all the time, right? Um, and I think there is some truth to that. I mean, obviously, there's some real truth to that. That like, how am I going to take time to do, you know, this this organizational strengthening work when I've got all these things I need to attend to? And and it kind of reminds me of like, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm you know too busy to put gas in my car. Well, yeah. you can only do that for so long, right? You got to feed, right. you know, you got to feed your leaders, right? You got to feed your leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think what we try to do through kind of the work that we're doing is in our capacity building initiative is develop programs that really do that, that kind of help, you know, the leaders in our organizations and our organizations themselves, um, you know, help them get better at that, what they do. So even though, yeah, it's going to take uh, some time to devote to this leadership mm -hmm. program, maybe even a lot of time, you know, some of our ladder to mm -hmm. leadership curriculum is very intense and very, you know, time intensive. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're, you know, we're really, it's a, it's a transformative program. It's helping emerging mm -hmm. leaders, you know, and our nonprofit partners really understand what leadership is all about and take those skills back into their, their day-to-day -day work. Um, so again, like, you know, at some point the car is going to run out of gas if you don't put gas in it. At mm -hmm. some point there's going to be burnout. There's going to be, you know, all kinds of, of not good things for our organizations <laughs> if we don't attend. Right. Yeah, if we don't attend to capacity building and organizational strengthening. Right, and it was interesting too. I was looking on the Forefront website and I, they worked with a group of capacity builders around the Chicagoland area. 
they generated a report. I forget who was the lead consultant. It might have been TMC or something. Yeah, something like I was that. part of that. Right. There was oh, a, a, okay. a cohort of 14 funders um, that okay. um, did a landscape analysis of capacity building work yes. across the Chicago area. And uh, it was a study called Point the Way. And it's available mm-hmm. on Forefront's website. Um, and it basically looked at, you know, it asked a couple questions. Like, basically, it tried to get a sense of what's the landscape of capacity building support, you know, in the greater Chicago area. Um, what mm-hmm. organizations are seeking support, what are not, who are not really able to seek support. Um, there was a, a lot of really fascinating results from, uh, you know, from that study that really aimed at taking, you know, to take the temperature of what capacity building looked like um, in the greater Chicago area, both from the perspective of funders, nonprofits, and also consultants who provide capacity building work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the takeaways for me is, you know, so often the temptation, like you mentioned before, is, you know, give us support so that we can develop our development department. And right. But one of the find, yeah, one of the findings was actually it didn't matter what aspect of capacity building the organization engaged in. You know, if they do any sort of capacity building activity, there was like a ten percent differential and the amount of funding they were able to raise over time. I thought that was pretty powerful. Yeah, and I think we see that in our own work, right? I mean, because if you, you know, if you do, a, for example, a board development um, work, or, or let's just let's just say if you, if you provide an executive coach um, mm-hmm. and the executive coach is struggling with some leadership issues and some issues with, you know, um, their relationship with their board and engaging them at a deeper level. And the coach and the ED kind of work through some strategies on how they can, you know, engage the board at a deeper level in the work. Well, that probably is going to engage the board more, who's going to better Mm -hmm. understand their role, who's going to then be provided with tools on how they can, you know, be more engaged in fund development, which is going to lead to, you know, a better bottom line for the organization and an increase Mm -hmm. in support, right? So, you know, you Mm -hmm. didn't start off this saying, um, I'm going to do like a fund development training. You know, what you started off with was, boy, this ED really needs some support, right? And so you provide a coach mm-hmm. to provide that ED with some support, but you end up at a place where the organization is stronger financially because of, you know, the support that you provided that then translated into, you know, better support with their board or with their staff, which then translates into more money, right? So, and I think we can see that, you know, in a variety of different different ways. I mean, you could you could say the same thing about, um, you know, a board program or, a, you know, a, even an HR training where you have uh, staff who um, feel more supported and no longer burned out and then are, you know, if you are constantly turnover in your development position, yeah, you're not going to have as much, you know, uh, you're not going to have as strong of an annual appeal. But, you know, if you really attend to the function, the HR function, then then that will translate too into, into stronger mm-hmm. uh, support for the organization. So, yeah, I think that finding, while kind of initially surprising, I think when you really think about it, um, 
it makes sense, right? Because if we really mm -hmm. attend to the infrastructure of the organization and its leaders and its people, then the whole thing probably is going to, you know, get better, including ultimately, you know, support, financial support to the organization. And JP had another question. Um, he says, for example, he works with a bunch of churches and he has a problem or challenge, shall I say, um, getting over the trust issues. A lot of the churches he has found don't necessarily like to try anything new. So what strategies would you suggest? that people use, you know, if you're new to a position, new to an organization, how do you get people to trust the process, so to speak, huh. the process of capacity building? Yeah. Um, that is probably a full conference call in of itself, to be honest <laughs> with you. And I've not worked closely with a bunch of churches or church coalitions, so my um, – mm -hmm statements might be a bit more general, but I think they're probably transferable mm -hmm. um, or generalizable. I think, you know, really, I'm, I'm a big believer in kindness, empathy, and transparency. And so, mm -hmm. um, and I think that really is the, the basis of trust. So for me, I'm mm -hmm. not really sure where this you know, lack of trust is coming from among these groups. Um, mm -hmm. When I have worked with organizations, often a lack of trust comes from um, turf issues or, you know, feeling like we are in competition with others um, in some mm -hmm. way. And so maybe that's kind of the genesis of what, what he's talking about here. Um, but I would say that, you know, first of all, um, Whatever issue you're trying to tackle, if you and I think nonprofits are, are about tackling the big issues, right? I mean, we're talking about tackling mm -hmm. poverty and racism right. and health and all of these kind of huge social change issues. There's no one organization that's ever going to be able to do that on their own. So um, there's no one church that's going to be able to, you know... <laughs> you know, tackle, you know, the, the social inequalities and social inequities that are present mm -hmm. in our society or um, no one church that's going to be able to end poverty or any of these big issues that we're talking about. We need to be able to work together and to mm -hmm. bring our strengths as organizations and individuals to bear in a collective way so that the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Now, if you mm -hmm. don't have that understanding and you don't have that, that, you know, lack of, I mean, then I'm not sure really how you move forward on a capacity building issue. I mean, what I would say mm -hmm. is I think sometimes what people do is they try to move too quickly to action before really building that trust. So I would say mm -hmm. that, you know, mobilization is really, we, we do this in our ladder to leadership curriculum. There's a whole, um, uh, module put out by the Center for Creative Leadership on boundary-spanning leadership. And it's about how to lead um, across boundaries, whether they be organizational, mm -hmm. whether they be cultural, whatever they might be. And the first step is really to understand who you are as an organization or an individual. Like what, if the, the example I give is like when you're going in, say your boss tells you, says, go to this meeting, and you're kind of put in mm -hmm. a position of representing your organization at a meeting. Right. Well, you better mm -hmm. pretty well have a good idea of what you can and can't say 
before you go into that meeting or it's going to be <laughs> right, awfully uncomfortable. Right. So you have to, the first step in being able to understand kind of how you can work with another organization is to really understand your own organization, to understand where the boundaries and fences are within you know, whoever mm-hmm. you are representing. What are your non-negotiables? Because you might be put in a situation where somebody asks you to do something and you're really not committed to, you can't do that. You can't, that's not who we are. That's not what I can do. That's right. not what I can give. So the first step in really, you know, reaching out across boundaries and collaborating, working together with somebody is to really understand who you are. And then mm-hmm. it's to bring that to the table in, in an honest way and say, look, this is what I can do and this is what I can't do. And then I think a critical piece, too, is to get to know each other as individuals. And we need to be Mm -hmm. more than just the representative of this church and that church. We need to be, you know, Sam and Sarah and Jose and whoever, you know, and see (laughs) each other as people. And you begin to build those personal relationships. And then it's like, okay, you know, I want you to succeed and you want me to succeed. And then how can our our organizations kind of come together? And the next piece is then really finding common ground and where, where do our missions and our visions overlap and what can you bring to the table that I can't and what can I bring to the table that you can't and how can we like look at um you know this this differently so that we could kind of come together and explore new frontiers together so you know I've done a probably um inaccurate job of like in a, in a very thumbnail sketch way kind of explaining this um this very rich uh um, tapestry of ideas that go into this model um, called boundary spanning mm-hmm. leadership. And JT, I'd certainly encourage you to look up Center for Creative Leadership, boundary spanning leadership that will kind of uh, provide hopefully a much better description than I just did. But I think, you know, when you ask about organizations that don't trust each other, you know, part of it is mm-hmm. I think these organizations, these churches need to understand who they are and what they really want and what they can give and what they can't. And then come to the mm-hmm. table and get to know each other as individuals and then explore, you know, what they each can give to some common goal or common vision about how the, the world could be a better place. Hmm, I love it. I love it. And, and thank you for that. Yeah. And, J, and JP says thanks with an exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Okay, so before we go forward, I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit U, and we're speaking with Tom Fechtman, Senior Program Officer with the Community Memorial Foundation. We are taking questions right now from our listening audience, and if you can call us, the number is 347-884-8121, or if you don't want to call, you can also open a listener-only account and post in our chat room. And and join the conversation. Okay, so Tom, and I, I think you touched on this already, but I just want to flesh out just a little bit more. Um, when you talk about providing funding for technical assistance as it relates to things like board development, strategic planning, and the like, you look at the proposal, you want to explore readiness. And one of the things you talked about, obviously, was, you know, their willingness to engage, you know, their board members, their willingness to put their skin in the game financially. Are there other things that you look at in the applicant when you're making a decision as to whether or not to invest in their 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 capacity building activities like strategic planning? 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, first of all, we want to make sure that this is the right project, you know. So as we've talked about, I mean, there'll mm -hmm. be some form of an assessment that they – <clears throat> excuse me, that they would reference that would say, you know, this is the project that we really need right now and this is why. Um, and they'd be mm -hmm. able to talk, you know, pretty coherently about, you know, why this is what we need and, and you know, uh, <laughs> why some other project is not what we need, right? Um, so, mm -hmm. I mean, if they're asking us for strategic planning, I mean, pr be able to provide why you would want strategic, you know, why this is the most appropriate capacity building activity for you undertake at this time. And and then also really, how mm -hmm. are you going to do that? I mean, what is your readiness to be able to take on this task? Um, who's going to be engaged in this? What is the process going to look like? How are, um, mm -hmm. you know, who's going to inform that process? I mean, all these kinds of questions would go into that. We also, mm -hmm. as part of our application require that people um, interview at least three consultants, uh, pick mm -hmm. one and submit their uh, the, the consultant's proposal along with the application. So we can really see, um, you know, what is what the scope of work is. And there have been times when mm -hmm. we've received technical assistance, you know, proposals uh, where somebody was asking for, you know, a strategic plan and you get the consultant's proposal and it, you know, maybe was a nice you know, set of conversations, but it really wasn't a strategic plan. Um, and so, um, you know, you can go back to the organization and say, uh, you're not going to be getting what you think you're going to be getting here, you know. And um, again, to be able to have that relationship and to be able to have that, um, you know, really robust process to kind of make sure that the organization understands. We've also, you know, done a lot of, you know, support to our grantees and really helping understand you know, how to contract with a consultant, for example, or, um, mm -hmm. you know, what, how to determine what their, what their, you know, greatest capacity building needs might be at the time. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think all of that is really important when determining, uh, you know, what the best fit is for, you know, their needs and the, and the project that, that, uh, that they might be undertaking. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that's really, really interesting. So I, I guess I, I look at the landscape now. You know, baby boomers for the first time were not the largest segment of the, the workforce. Now you have millennials who have overtaken us. Do you see any difference in your approaches to, to grant making as a result of the generational shift? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think that's one that we're all struggling with right now, right? Um, and I think, mm -hmm. you know, first of all, the the ways in which this is often talked about um, is is a bit concerning to me personally because I think mm -hmm. often the way this is phrased is, you know, what's going to happen when all these baby boomers leave and there's going to be nobody left to replace them. Um, and mm -hmm. that's precisely the wrong way to think about it, right? Because there isn't really a deficit mm -hmm. of nonprofit leaders. I mean, there people will replace them, right? People are out there, mm -hmm. you know, who need jobs, <laughs> who care about our community, who want to make change in the world, and, and they will replace the baby boomers who are retiring. Um, the, the big concern to me and to, to, you know, our foundation and others who are engaged in this work is, you know, what we touched upon earlier is that, is that there's a lack of investment in nonprofit leaders. 
So, you know, I said the stat earlier that only 1% of foundation do dollars, you know, over a 10-year period was allocated annually for nonprofit leadership development. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's a problem. I mean, that means that, like, that equates to about $29 spent per person on leadership development. Wow. Now business businesses wow. spend about $120 per person. So, you know, if you if you're not investing in leadership development, if you're not investing in people, then yeah, we're going to have a problem when, you know, baby boomers retire. But it isn't because mm -hmm. millennials are like, you know, radically different or because there's all these generational changes in how they see the world. That's some of it. I mean, certainly those kinds of things exist. But I think the bigger problem is we're just not investing in leaders. And so mm -hmm. we run into this situation where, you know, and there's a lot of other variables too. I mean, the economy, you know, baby boomers are sticking around longer because they can't afford to retire. And besides which we're not actually really supporting baby boomers to retire well either. I mean, we're not, um, you know, I mean, part of what we've found in our executive coaching program is executive coaches are re really very helpful, you know, as executive directors think about leaving because one of their big concerns is how do I leave well? You know, what's my legacy mm -hmm. going to be? And I think that's really important when you think about leadership development is not only thinking about how we train new leaders to take their place, but how we provide off ramps for, you know, the people who've served mm -hmm. in organizations for 20 or 30 years. And how do we really, you know, think about um, succession planning and sustainability and all these kind of really important important things to kind of help our sector, you know, adjust to this major generational shift that's happening. And I think the big problem for me is, you know, not so much that, you know, millennials are radically different in their outlook on the world. I mean, that there's some of that, and some of that's good, but it's mm -hmm. really that we're not investing in in leaders to be able to kind of mm -hmm. look at this change and be very intentional about, you know, helping people succeed um, uh, in these very difficult environments and in these very difficult, you know, situations that nonprofits are facing. Okay, and that is a, a great segue to another question, you know, about your ladder to leadership program. I, I know you mentioned it, but you indicated that you have a, a program that really helps the mid-career mid professionals, people, I'm assuming, who work in some other capacity other than nonprofit and they're changing careers. How does that work? No, it's for uh, not, nonprofit professionals. So it's, it's for okay. um, people who are like development directors or program directors. That's what we mean by mid-career professionals. Okay. So okay. Ladder to Leadership is a, is a 16 month program that was created by uh, the Center for Creative Leadership, this kind of global leader in leadership development work that's housed in North Carolina. And it the program was created through dollars from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And it's a very intense leadership development program that includes classroom learning, um, executive coaching, mentoring opportunities, and an action learning team approach where a cohort of individuals from different organizations across the community come together on a team and identify a particular challenge that the community is facing and then develop a program or a project to address that need, that community need, and that project becomes mm -hmm. the vehicle by which they learn about leadership. 
So it's a mm -hmm. very intense program. There's also a lot of self-assessment tools that are done because, you know, Myers-Briggs and 360 and, you know, conflict mm -hmm. scales and all this so that you really understand who you are as a, in what you bring mm -hmm. to the leadership experience. It's a very intense but, you know, truly transformational program. We've done it twice now, and we're just about to launch our third cohort. And we really believe mm -hmm. that, again, you know, if we're going to um, – it's it's one way that we support, you know, not only the board and the executive directors in our nonprofit organizations, but people, these emerging leaders, these mid-career professionals in our grantee organizations, so that, you know, they have some experiential learning and some, some you know, experiences that can help them one day move into that C-suite level position, you know, in nonprofit mm -hmm. organizations in our communities. Okay, and do they typically work with with your grantees, or are there people who are outside? They work of your in our yeah. They are. Network? You have to be a grantee to be able to apply for this program. Um, each one of our grantees are allowed to put forth, you know, one candidate for the program, um, and they have to have mm -hmm. some really interesting discussions about, you know, who that candidate should be. And and the program is facilitated by, you know, two faculty from the Center for Creative Leadership um, out of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Great. Um, JP has chimed in again from the chat room. He's very interested in that program, and we realize that this is only open to your grantees if, you know, if people are coming through you, but I get the sense that he probably wants to talk to you some more about that program. Um, he says, that program sounds great. Do you have stories about teams who have done this? It would really help a lot of groups if people could see how it's done and or know the people involved. Can you post a link if available or if just a PDF? His email is jp at do-gooder.us. Sure. So, uh, JT, I will. Uh, so, on our website is a description of the program, and that's www.cmfdn.org. Uh, since we now have an application up for it for our grantees, I think we took down the video that we had. We actually did a video on it. Um, but, JT, I'll send you that link. Um, we also have some interesting evaluation data. And, um, you know, JT, when you get my email, um, feel free to reach out to me and we can have a much uh, deeper conversation about ladder to leadership uh, because it's been a, a really incredible program in our community. Okay. Awesome. And that's JP again, Paul. And what I could do is I could send an intro uh, email to yeah, you both. Please do that. Yep. Um, yep. That will okay. be fine. And then, that, and then I will connect that way with you. Nothing gets lost. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Okay, great. And thank you so much. I know we're winding down. We didn't have a chance to get through everything, but, you know, I, I just want to get a sense now, and you kind of touched on it throughout the conversation, but in summary, what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the years during this capacity building work? So um, I really think that um, – you know, I've said a couple times in this call that uh, investing in leadership is really important because we believe that investing in people uh, and investing in leadership 
um, is what is going to strengthen organizations, and organizations are what um, fuel social change. And so, you know, to mm -hmm. any funders on the call or any nonprofits that are thinking about kind of what what kind of capacity build, building work should we be engaged in, I think leadership development is really, really important. Um, for foundations and others who are engaged in this kind of work, I think talent development and leadership development and even capacity building programs, they really take time to develop. Um, it takes time from foundations. It takes time from nonprofits. Um, Buy-in is really needed at every level. Um, and, you know, as I said before, I mean, I think, you know, let this – it's really important to let grantees lead this to some extent that capacity building that's going to be successful has to be driven by grantees and what they need um, rather than kind of from on high what foundations think is needed. Um, and also mm -hmm. I would say be willing to fully engage. I mean this, you know, if we want our grantees to succeed, we need to be able to really help them build their infrastructure, you know, build up their leadership capacity um, and build up their organizations. So, but mm -hmm. it's only really fully commit to doing that. I think that, you know, the program grants are going to be successful because somebody has to do that work. Um, and so mm -hmm. investing in people and investing in infrastructure is a way that we can also help um, strengthen our program outcomes. So. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And JP says, thank you so much again with an exclamation point. And I will make sure, <laughs> I'll make sure I put you guys in contact after the podcast. Okay. So, so glad you were listening, JP. <laughs> <laughs> Hope yeah, others were too. Is, yeah, you know, I, I always run into people from time to time when I'm out and about who mention, you know, past episodes. So we, we just never know who's listening. And I don't know if I mentioned to you that this podcast has been downloaded in about 64 countries now. So oh, we, we really don't know. <laughs> we, we don't know who's <laughs> listening, where they come from, and, and all that good stuff, you know, because it's downloaded on demand. So I, I wish I had sure. a way of capturing individuals, but, you know, I don't, but I'm just glad to know that there are people listening all over the world, and, and I just thank you, and I have a feeling that this one will probably be downloaded around the world, given the nature, you know, of what it is we're talking about. Capacity seems to be a, a big thing. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you for inviting me to be part of this. It was a pleasure, and uh, I hope a few of what I things that I said today are helpful to people in the Chicago area and potentially around the world. <laughs> okay. Yes, indeed. Okay. So we're at the end of the show. Are there any closing comments you have? Uh, I just would like to end with a, a you know a sense of gratitude not only to you Valerie for being engaged in these kind of conversations and facilitating these kind of conversations but um, most importantly to the people who may be listening who are really engaged in this kind of work um, and so thank you to all of you out there who are um, trying to make our world a better place in, in what you do each day uh, in the nonprofit sector and thank you to any funders who might be listening who are engaged in helping our nonprofits succeed um, and I care deeply about uh, 
you know, our communities and our sector and knowing that there are others on the other end of the line that are engaged in this work too just fills me with a great sense of hope and, um, and joy. So thank you for um, facilitating this conversation and thanks to all who are listening in. Great, great. All righty. So again, I want to thank our listening audience for listening to Nonprofit U. The show will be available for download within about an hour. And be sure to tune in next week when our guest will be Peter Garrieppi. He is a CPA, and he's also a candidate for Cook County Treasurer. He's got some really innovative ideas for dealing with nonprofits as well as the social, the social and public sector. And he'll talk about ways to apply lessons learned in social innovation to Cook County government. So that's going to be, I think, a very lively conversation. I hope you guys can join us. All right. So take care. All right. Thank you. Uh, Bye. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.